record all this and we're live hello everyone (laughs) welcome to strong tea quick brews it's another bite-sized version of our main um sister podcast and i say sister because it's international women's day so we must go for sister um strong tea um originated through uh, vicky and i's love of chatting um also our love of drag race and our love of wanting to educate ourselves and understand a little bit more about the big wide world and taboo subjects which sometimes people are do not feel comfortable talking about um so obviously the number one question that we always ask is what tea are you drinking so hello everyone um i think I need to start off by saying a huge thank you to you for actually extending my tea repertoire. Um, I had a lovely gift from Katie of brand new teas of which, and a brand new tea cup of which I'm drinking today. And it's um, the Pucker, it's uh, Love from Pucker. And it's got a touch of rose, chamomile and lavender. And it's gorgeous. It's really nice. So yeah, brand new tea today for me. What about you? Well, it sounds very zen. Oh, it's very zen. I've gone, I have gone for Yorkshire tea, but I've gone for Yorkshire tea decaf. So oh. I already had a large cup of coffee today. So taking it easy. Trying to be a bit careful um, and uh, just take it, take it steady on my caffeine intake. But uh, yeah, Vicky, why don't you take it away with what we are talking about today? Yeah, so as Katie said, it's International Women's Day today. Uh, uh, where on Strong Tea we celebrate all women and all people who identify as women. So what we want to do today is to really highlight um, iconic women um, through the ages. So what we've done is we've done a bit of homework about particular individuals that have come up during our research that we would like to kind of tell you what we've learned and have a bit of a discussion around them. Um, And we just feel that these individuals need a bit more, um, what's the word, pushing out into into the world for people to learn more about. Um, I just said that, didn't I? Yeah, I'm not I'm not very articulate today. Maybe I'm too zen with your tea. Oh, yeah. More caffeine for you. More (laughs) caffeine for me. Um, (laughs) Might help. Um, so yeah I think the individuals that we've chosen you may have heard of you may not have heard of but what we really hope is that it um, brings a smile to your day it brings you hope but not only that it gives you um, a bit of a push to actually do your own research into into people who have changed the world um, and changed things for us as women and and everyone so shall I go first with my first one yeah, I just wanted to say though before you um, before you go on with your first lady, um, what uh, it was something I actually sent you um, on WhatsApp, and it was um, a screenshot of something that was happening in Bristol, and it was a plaque that was being taken down in Bristol, um, and it was you know one of these blue historic plaques that talks about all of the things that happened in that place. And it was being taken down, but only to be replaced by another blue plaque because it was about the women that had had such an influence over this place. But it said the original blue plaque said nothing about the women. It talked about the men (laughs) that, that had supported these women to become who they were. So this new blue plaque was taking over 
to be my more representative of the women that made it important in the first place. But do you know what? I can't remember the name of the place that it was. <laughs> you know what? It's lucky I've got Zen tea because it's stuff like that that right. I'm on one now. So <laughs> feminist hat, come on. <laughs> just so many things like that. Just absolutely boil my blood and yeah there's an incredible book I know I've mentioned it before Invisible Women and it talks about how data and research just kind of completely negates to put women into it's a, a lot of people may have heard this but the seatbelt in cars when they're testing seatbelts they use male anatomy mannequins so the weight shape and so more women um kind of statistically are injured more horrifically in car accidents than men because obviously the mannequins that they use to crash test these seatbelts are engineered for for men's bodies not women's and it's stuff like that that you just think you you know it's 2022 people yeah Um, and you're doing the research for this this episode as well I think yeah a a lot of so inventions this is another one so did you know that women invented the car heater, the fire escape, the modern electric refrigerator, the medical syringe, CCTV, the paper bag, Kevlar, windscreen wipers, computer programming. Um, you know, all of these were, were engineered, created and invented by women. Um, and again, do more research into this. It's a man's name. If it's been a joint bit of research or a joint invention, it's the man's name that takes the first in, in Wikipedia and things like that, that takes the first line. Yeah, it, it boils my blood. So, yeah, when you sent me that, I was like, oh, slap forehead moment. <laughs> I find it brilliant that women um, invented fire escapes. You've got <laughs> men who were just like, oh, look at this building. It's amazing. Look what we did. And it's like, guys, how are we going to get out? Of this? Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's that practicality element that you think, oh, there's a woman behind that. <laughs> yeah. Car heater. Hmm. Okay, we built, we built this car. Yeah, it's freezing in here. But why didn't we think of this woman? <laughs> yeah. I wonder who, I wonder who um, invented bum warmers, heated seats. Yeah, good shout. Good yeah. shout. I'll Google that later because I would be tempted just to Google that right now. <laughs> and you know, you can get heated steering wheels now as well. Yes, lifesaver in winter. Yeah, because yeah. I get really cold fingers. So, yeah. Absolutely. Do you think it's because women get colder than men? Do you think that's a. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. It's weird because obviously the Maslow hierarchy of needs, does that change by, by gender, do you think? So. I don't know. Yeah. There's a whole other episode, that one. <laughs> anyway, I've waylaid you because you were about to start talking about your no. your first uh, I- iconic woman. Iconic woman, and she truly is. So the reason why I chose this particular one, um, I don't know about you, but since 2016, and we all know the pivotal thing that happened in 2016 in America where, you know, Donald Trump got put in, there seemed to be a shift in what was seen as accessible. Um, uh, word, sorry, I will get my act together. <laughs> of what was seen as um, appropriate mm-hmm. to say, there seemed to be just this fine line, just completely rubbed out of what people felt that they were. It was okay to say and okay to do. Mm-hmm. 
And this was amplified by, by a report I saw as well that last year was a record record high for anti-Semitic attacks in the UK. And I just find it absolutely mind-boggling. And I don't know if you remember as well the anti-mask protesters last, last year. And individuals were wearing the Star of David and comparing themselves to being in a situation like a concentration camp. And the lack of sensitivity, and I'm I'm assuming the lack of knowledge of how wrong that is, just, Mm. it was mind boggling for me. I I couldn't quite believe it. Um, And it feels that indefensible hate has kind of overshadowed all the amazing people, the, the heroes, the icons, the individuals who have wanted to bring change that, you know, wanted to bring equality and just to end tyranny. Yeah. Um, and so with that in mind and, and with, you know, the, this prevalent and the hugely liberal use of online Nazi imagery and memes that have got hate connotations and just, just the more hate speech and, and acceptance of this oppressive and offensive material, I just wanted to bring a bit of hope, I guess, and to bring someone from the past that you may not have heard of that I think really needs to be celebrated and stand out and be kept in the forefront of your mind. Um, and her name was Irina Sendler. Now, Sendler was born in 1910 in Otwok in Poland. If I pronounce these places in Poland wrong, I do apologize. Um, but even in the very beginnings of World War II, um, as the Germans were invading Warsaw, which was Irina's birthplace, um, she actually helped provide medicine, clothing, and other necessities um, to the city's persecuted Jewish populations. Um, But once the Warsaw Ghetto was built within within the city, um, this cut off Irina's access to to, people who who needed her help, needed her aid. Um, So she started to plan out other ways of how she could help. So in 1940, the Nazis forced Warsaw's more than 400,000 Jewish residents into a small blocked ghetto area um, and thousands died every month from disease and starvation Um, and Irina then started to smuggle out orphaned children and how she did this she used her status as a social worker to actually gain access into the ghetto and she accessed the orphan children who, who lived in there And in 1942, she was actually appointed head of the children division of this underground resistance group. Um, And she and a team just helped to rescue 2,500 Jewish children from the Warsaw Ghetto. And she did this in in a few ways. So she smuggled them through an old courthouse, which was next to the ghetto. Um, She helped them escape through underground passages like sewers. Um, She hid the children in luggage bags and potato sacks. Um, carried them out in trolleys. She hid them in ambulances um, and under stretchers, like faking illness or if they were genuinely being ill. Um, And these children who were rescued were sent to different orphanages and religious institutions that took in vulnerable children. Um, And Irina used her contacts in these places to to smuggle the children out under false names. Um, And as things got even worse in the ghetto for for the population, for for the prisoners, she went beyond rescuing just the orphans and actually went out to the parents asking them to to let her try to get their children to safety. Um, And she was honest and said, you know, she she couldn't guarantee that the children would survive, but she told the parents that, you know, we've got to give them a chance Mm -hmm. Um, and get the tissues ready because it's about to get quite 
quite emotional, as if it hasn't been emotional already. So what Irina did is she then kept the names of all the children that she had helped and saved, and she buried them in a jar um, with a plan to reunite all the rescued children with the parents after the war. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. But in 1943, the Nazis arrested Sendler. She got caught um, and she was sent to um, Pariak prison. Um, she was tortured um, and they were trying to get her to reveal the names of her associates in, in the resistance group. Um, and she reviewed, refused and she was sentenced uh, to death. However, resistance members actually ended up bribing the prison guards, which enabled her to escape about four months later. And in true propaganda style, um, the day after Irina had escaped, Nazis were putting up posters everywhere saying that they had executed her, um, but she was actually in hiding and she was stayed in hiding for the rest of the war. Um, and once it was over, she um, tried to connect the children um, with the parents, but unfortunately nearly all of these parents had perished or been killed during the Holocaust. Um, so Irina spent the later part of her life being cared for in Warsaw by a woman called Elsbieta Fikowska. And it turned out that Elsbieta was one of the children that Irina had smuggled out of the city's ghetto when she'd been six months old. Um, now, Irina had remarked on her actions during the war and she said, and I'll read this, we who are rescuing children are not some kind of heroes. That term irritates me greatly. The opposite is true. I continue to have qualms of conscience that I did so little. I could have done more. The regret will follow me to my death. Now, I'll leave you with one amazing thing is that with the exception of diplomats who granted visas to, to Jews during World War II, Sendler saved more Jews than any other individual during the Holocaust. And she's never, she's never talked about, is she? It's amazing, isn't it? What a legend. Sounds like she had absolutely no, um, no second thought for her own safety. Everything was just, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's like, you, you know, been watching the news like most people and mm -hmm. seeing these people that are staying in Ukraine, you know, the people that are fleeing and, you know, trying to get out is, is one thing because it's obviously terrifying there, having their homes destroyed and... Yeah being displaced all over mm. Europe. Um, but it's people who are staying behind to try and get people out and get people to safety. And that's men and women. And it's just, mm. you know, the bravery of these people, because, you know, how many people can actually put their hands up and say, yeah, okay, I'd, I'd, I'd stop and I'd do that. Because yeah. it must be absolutely terrifying. And the fact that she felt she, she could have done more I mean, she, she was tortured. She rescued two and a half thousand lives and still she felt she could have done more. And yeah, it's 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 a horrible thing to see on the news at the moment where we're almost seeing history repeat itself in, in different ways. And, and I remember hearing this fantastic history doesn't repeat itself. It echoes mm -hmm. and it is happening. You know, you, you can see how this is echoing and. As you said, people like Irina, people who you're seeing in the news now are just offering so much hope and seeing what humanity can really achieve and do and what it looks like. Yeah. So, yeah. How about yours? Let's listen to your first one. Uh, my first one is, is again, it's um, to do with wartime, but it's First World War. And mm. um, this lady was called Dorothy Lawrence. And she was actually a journalist. And this is, you know, we're talking 
like the late, I mean, she was born in 1896 actually. Um, and she decided that she wanted to accurately um, tell the story of what was happening in the war. Mm. And she didn't feel that anyone was doing that. And so she posed as a man to become a soldier during the First World War. And she's, even to this day, um, she's known as the only English woman to be on the front line during the First World War. And you think about how women were viewed in that time. Mm. And you think, you know, very much, you don't have to watch Downton Abbey, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And you see, you know, women were very much, you know, they, they they didn't have jobs like journalists you know, journalists. So that's one thing in itself, but women were very much seen as being at home with the children. And she put herself right smack bang in the middle of everything that was going on. And she actually met um, a guy called Tom Dunn, who was a Lancashire coal miner. And he, you know, was slightly taken aback to find this woman, um, you know, on the front line. And he found an abandoned cottage for her to keep her safe. Um, during during the night so she didn't have to sleep mm. in the trenches and stuff um, but she did later hand herself in um, because uh, they they obviously she was posing as a man uh, but she handed herself in and she was taken back to the UK for interrogation but you know the fact that she was ready and willing to put herself out there yeah in such uh, you know because it, it was a first world war and there had been other wars but not in yeah. her lifetime. And all of a sudden there she was like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to tell my story. And that is, is just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Just not only the bravery, but as a journalist, she obviously wanted the world to know what it was like for the people on the front line as well. So it, there's, it's hugely selfless. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And her name was Dorothy Lawrence. And until I'd started doing my research, I'd never heard of her before. No, I've never heard of her. No. So. Well, yeah, what a woman. Wow. It's just, it's it's icon after icon when you read these things, isn't it? You just think, how did I not know about this woman? How did I not know about, you know, all these people that are just like creating the history in which we live now. But the, I mean, for Dorothy as well back then, I'm, I'm just, I'm absorbing it and just processing it because as a woman on the front line, it's not only the war, as you said, she got caught and interrogated, but at the time there was risk, you know, being a woman amongst men, that was a risk, being a woman, you know, and even biologically, uh, you know, the things that she, you know, <laughs> being too graphic, but, you know, <laughs> the yeah. things that women do is different to men. And I just, being on the front line and having to deal with that, it just, uh, yeah, my mind boggles. So many questions. And it's amazing how she didn't get found out yeah and she actually handed herself in but you know like you say all the stuff that a woman has to go through yeah you know and if you're on the front line with a load of guys and they're all peeing up against sandbags yeah yeah had she we back in the uh you yeah. know yeah you <laughs> well, saw the imagery in my mind there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so before we get into too graphic about that yeah, sorry about that <laughs> Who's your next woman? Uh, My next woman um, is absolutely iconic. And for me, it's almost for the wrong reasons. And I'll explain why. So um, 
she will be remembered amongst the absolutely um, incredible people around the American civil rights movement, um, which was a mass protest movement um, against racial segregation and discrimination in the southern United States in the 1950s. And the reason why I've chosen her is because um, it was Black History Month in January and I came across new and interesting articles um, about Marcus Garvey, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman. Um, and, you know, these are all names that everyone knows and every Black History Month things come, you know, we, we celebrate and, and look to how far um, we come and how far we need to go as white allies and, 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 and obviously the, the Black community. But when I did some digging, I found um, Amelia Boynton Robinson. Um, and her name is synonymous with the civil rights movement because of a very graphic photograph that was taken. Um, and when I did some more digging about her as an individual, what really resonated me with me is that all her incredibly hard work um, and passion in her life before and after that photo, it wouldn't have been widely noticed if it weren't for the awful experience that she had and the violence that had been caught on camera. Right. So I kind of, she's an icon because of what she did outside of that moment, really. Mm -hmm. So she was born in 1911 in Georgia. And as a young lady, she became really active in women's suffrage in, in America um, and in the deep, deep South. Um, and at the age of 23, she became one of the first few registered African-American voters. And what she did is she used this status to educate and try and get um, other African-American applicants to become registered voters. Um, and together with her husband, um, they worked together to bring education, higher standard of living and voting rights to uh, particularly the African-American poor. Um, and most of uh, whom were, were um, sharecroppers at the time and in 1936 Robinson she actually wrote a play um, called Through the Years and the reason why she did that was to raise money for a community centre um, and she wanted it to be open for African Americans in a then uh, racially segregated Selma in Alabama okay. um, and in 1964 so we're rocketing so she was doing all its pioneering work um, and in 1964, she became the first American, um, sorry, African American woman ever to seek a seat in Congress in Alabama. Mm. And she was also the first woman to run for this office in the state. Mm. And she won, get this, 10% of the votes when only 5% of the registered voters were African American. Wow. So she was doing something right. Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Especially um, in that day and age, it was probably right. I know, and yeah. in segregate, yeah, in a segregated area as well. Yeah. Just incredible. And in in 1965, she was one of the civil rights leaders um, to lead the famous march um, across the Edmund uh, Pettus Bridge, um, where she and her fellow activists were brutally, brutally beaten um, by state troopers. Um, and it resulted in the day being called Bloody Bloody Sunday. Um, she was gassed, um, she was beaten, and that's the photo um, of her being left for dead. 
um, on the bridge. That's the photo that went around the world and in today's terms went viral. It was in newspapers, pamphlets. It was it was everywhere. Um, and it, it did help to spark an outpouring of support for the civil rights movement because it just demonstrated just how violent, unfair, unjust and what these activists were going through. Um, and, you know, state troopers, the people that are supposed to help run the country fairly. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1990, Boynton was awarded the Martin Luther King Jr. Medal of Freedom. And she was honored as a special guest um, at President Obama's State of the Union address in 2015. And in March of that year, alongside um, President Obama, they held hands as they then marched um, across the bridge. Wow. Um, and she was 103 at the time. Um, yeah right and at the she died in her Um, time sorry like the stuff that she's seen in her time she's managed to achieve that's crazy what she did and she unfortunately she died um the year after she was 104 and her son Bruce Boynton um said this about he said the truth of it was that her entire life um that's what she was completely taken with she was a loving person very supportive but civil rights was her life Wow. Yeah. What a, what a woman. And it, I think for me, what really resonated is she was more than just a photo. She was more than just a horrific act that happened. She had so many achievements and everything before that happened. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think what's amazing about that, though, is the fact that you sort of said in today's world, that photo went what you would call viral. viral. Yeah. Um, and Obviously, social media now, you're seeing it all around with what's happening in Ukraine. People who are on the ground, people who live there, you know, they are filming, they are taking photos and they are putting up on Twitter, on Facebook, and it is circulating around the world's media. That what happened there in its time, it went out to newspapers and media outlets around the world because that was the only way it could have gone viral. And those places chose to publish it it could have very easily gone the other way where they didn't bother and they thought well no this is this is the black black civil rights movement not gonna not gonna not gonna have anything to do with that and they didn't and I think probably Mm -hmm. that's quite iconic in itself and like you say to be defined by something so horrific that's happened to you is not what you'd want to be remembered for but it was the thing that brought her to the forefront of many people's lives Absolutely. And, the you know, the civil rights movement, you know, there's still a lot more work we've got to do. Do, do you know what I mean? This, yeah, this is this wasn't just, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, a couple of years ago now, just because it's not on everyone's Facebook feed or Instagram. The fight goes on, you, you know, it's and I think for me, just seeing the things like you said that she achieved before that and the impact that she had had before that time yeah. cannot be undervalued no at all. You know, there's some accolades in there that you just think oh my god you know that's oh, what a woman yeah I say that a lot what a woman <laughs> incredible oh, incredible yeah. <laughs> so who's your next one uh well my my second and final one is um this is this is an icon I have followed 
um, probably since I started getting into Drag Race many, many moons ago. Um, and you'll see why when I say that in a second. But in the 1950s, a um, person was born. And this person, and I say person, because this person is a black trans woman. And her name is Marsha P. Johnson. Now, some people may recognize that and some people may not. Um, it's the P, which I only found out a couple of days ago, the P in her name stands for pay it no mind. Now, no. If you heard, I know, I know. If you heard RuPaul's song, um, unless they're paying your bills, pay them bitches no mind. And, you know, absolutely, pay it no mind. Don't give a toss about what other people say. This woman helped lead the LGBTQ plus movement in New York City for around about 25 years, right? Now, she was a drag performer predominantly, but she was also a sex, uh, sex worker. And she poured so much effort and energy into taking care of trans uh, right across the LGBTQ community, but predominantly trans homeless young people, people living with HIV and AIDS, and also incarcerated LGBTQ uh, members. And she did so much for her fellow LGBTQ community. It's just iconic. And at the age of just 23, 23, she was one of the leaders of the Stonewall riots, which was the uprising, I guess you could call it, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. um, which brought LGBTQ rights which I guess they were called gay rights at the time weren't they because we didn't have all the the mm -hmm. acronyms and acronyms acronyms that works yep yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> you know and she did so much she set up something called um star which was street transvestite action revolutionaries and she did so much to try and help young trans people who were unsure of themselves you know just trying to discover who they were and now when you consider the the outlets and the opportunities for people in the lgbtq community there's so much more support so much more widely talked about like you said with the black black civil rights movement there's so much further we have to go but learning about women like marsha p johnson who is a woman because she's a trans woman it's just she did so much and she's barely talked about and I can't even I can't even get across just how much I think of this woman and she sadly died in 1992 um, and there was a bit of a cloud of suspicion um, over her death because it was ruled as a suicide but actually since then it's kind of a lot of activists believe that she was murdered because of course she was high profile and again the activism involved in the lgbtq community um there was a lot of people that didn't agree with what she was doing but actually in 2019 and i have to look actually to see if this is, has been done yet um but a monument honoring her um was going to be built in new york city and mm -hmm. It's just a couple of blocks away from the Stonewall Inn, and it's the first monument in history that's a public piece of artwork that recognises transgender women. And I think that's that's iconic in itself. Yeah. You know, the fact that Absolutely. it's taken until now to say, you know, yeah. 
look, we're going to put a statue up and it recognises this incredible woman. And she she moved mountains for the LGBTQ community and it's just it's just incredible. So I have to get down off my soapbox because, I'm <laughs> because of the, just, I, I'm just in awe of her. I think she's incredible. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I knew that she had a role and what her role was in the Stonewall riots. I had no idea about Star. So mm-hmm. you've taught me something I didn't know today as well. I mean, yeah, just astonishing. It says um, Star was the first LGBTQ plus youth shelter in North America. And it was the first organization in the US led by a trans woman of color. That's incredible. I mean, it's just, and like, I mean, there are, there are these, um, uh, uh, documentaries and things on Netflix and bits and pieces that people can watch mm-hmm. about Marsha P. Johnson, but it's not pushed. It's not really talked about. And it's the same with all the women that we've talked about. You know, mm-hmm. you read, um, you know, you watch films like uh, Harvey Milk. Have you seen the film with Milk? It was Harvey, yes. Harvey Milk. Yeah, yeah, Harvey Milk. Yeah. yeah. And that film is iconic. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's an excellent film. Um, but then you look at Marsha P. Johnson and you think, well, she probably did as much, if not more, for LGBTQ plus. And there's no film about her. Mm. And yeah, I, Hollywood, call me. I think we need to do that. <laughs> Don't get me started with trans representation in Hollywood. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that oh, really yeah. is a whole other episode, isn't it? That's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think um, I probably just want to finish this with one one final word for me. But obviously, if you want to talk as well, because, you know, you're a woman, you have a chance to talk. Yeah, um, I, I think I just want to say there are so many iconic women out there. Mm-hmm. And then they're not just people in the media. They're not just people who are high profile. They are people like you, Vicky. They are people like other friends that I have. They are people that I have worked with. You know, they are women all around us and they all deserve to be celebrated. You know, women, well, everyone, but women are battling their own secret battles every day, whether that's mental health, their relationships, their bodies, their lifestyle. You know, every woman is every woman is suffering something in the background that she doesn't bring to the forefront and she gets on with it. And I think that is iconic in its its own right. So yay for International Women's Day. Thank you. Did actually say anything better than that? That was brilliant. Was that off script or did you just win that? Because that's no, awesome. I just, I just looked at myself and talked the whole time. <laughs> that's because you two are iconic and a legend. And for anyone listening on the podcast, you probably can't see Katie's t-shirt, but she's got a fantastic woman up t-shirt. And I think, yeah, I've tried to change the language I use, particularly around my daughter, because I think things like man up or grow a set, it's very much, you know, pull, pull your big girl pants up do you know what I mean just you know and it just it's looking at the language that you use as well that has always been there to kind of you know oh run like a girl no yeah you run like a girl you run fast you run hard you run strong you know it's changing the connotations and I'm hoping that with each international women's day that comes and goes that this narrative ends and the women can start to feel really empowered as you say with things like within our own bodies within our careers you know, we start smashing those feelings, feelings, smashing those ceilings. The ceilings have feelings too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that was very articulate as well. Thank you. Apart from the feelings bit. I start there. 
that's fine. That's fine. We just ignore them. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, we were going to be back soon, aren't we, with a couple of very exciting episodes. We have got Childless by Choice coming up, which yeah. is going to be very, very Jeez, exciting. Mm. Um, we've also got same-sex parenting which again, very exciting. And we are talking to a couple of men as well, aren't we, in the pipeline for some some interesting uh, bits and pieces coming up there. So we'll keep that under wraps and also keep an eye out for our new branding, which is coming very, very soon. We'll still be called Strong Tea though. It's very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. (laughs) I have my picture taken and everything. (laughs) A photo shoot yesterday involved a lot of talking about trans rights, drag race and a lot of giggling. So there's a lot to look forward to there. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Right, we'll catch up with you soon, guys. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.